everybody, and welcome back to another edition of the P.O.D. Cast, your favorite podcast about new metal. This is episode number 45, and today we are wading into one of the greatest debates in new metal history as we discuss Rage Against the Machines, seminal classic, Evil Empire. I'm John, and with me is a man who will rally around your family with a pocket full of shells. It's Brian Quinby. Hey, how's it going? A band that is after my own heart, Rage Against the Machine. Uh, uh, very good band. Actually, it's funny. This is my. This was an album I didn't like very much growing up. It's like kind of. A, I like the other two. I like the first one and the third one, but this one was kind of like, eh, I don't know, too punk. Too punk. Too punk. This album for at the you time, th- not now. I love. <clears throat> I. I it's fun. We'll talk about it as we do it. But first, we got to talk about somebody who has transformed into what we always <laughs> thought he could be. Yeah, it's uh, we don't often have like current new metal news on the show, but this feels sort of apropos because last episode, did I say this is episode 45? I probably did. But in case I forgot, it's episode 45 and episode 44, we covered Disturbed's second album, Believe. And uh, yeah, Brian, um, I think maybe if you were only sort of tangentially familiar with Disturbed, as in, you know, maybe you only think of them as a, uh, you know, a band that like, you know, about from our show, you don't really listen to their music. You may have already thought this about David Draymond, but David Draymond has, as you say, Brian, finally reached his final form as a divorced guy. Yeah. And also, you would have thought he was already divorced. He wrote. That's what I mean. Yeah. He wrote what I believe. What I fucking believe to be the most divorced song ever made. <laughs> and he didn't write it. It's the cover of Sounds of Silence. Is <laughs> That's the most divorced song ever made in the history of fucking music. So it's like, you can only really think of divorce when you listen to that song. It's actually kind of scary for a longtime married guy like me. When, when you hear it, you're like, oh, fuck, what if I get divorced and then I end up liking this song? <laughs> you know, you fucking sit in a parking lot, you listen to My Way by Limp Biscuit, and then to bring yourself down, you listen to fucking this song that song and then you go into work and you act like everything's okay but you're always mad all the time yeah yeah i feel like um there is something a little extra about a about a particularly a a particularly constructed cover that makes it more divorced like as soon as you said that that was the most divorced song in history for some reason, the other song that popped into my mind was Behind Blue Eyes by Limp Biscuit. That also has massive divorced man energy. Yeah, the divorce guy, the the divorce court parking lot playlist <laughs> has so many of these like really great, like, you know, Seether probably wrote 
a million divorce songs. You know, oh, their a- their first single is fine again, right? Like the whole yeah. <clears throat> the whole, or the big single, not first, but like the big single that busted them was literally a song that was like, "I'm gonna be fine again," pretty much. Yeah. Like, <laughs> well, and it, it is like. Like there was a trend on TikTok that I remember vaguely. Maybe this never happened. Maybe somebody just posted like two or three videos of this and it wasn't a huge trend, but that people were finding videos of like guys signing their divorce papers and then throwing <laughs> their ring in the trash, their, their sure. wedding ring in the trash, playing like one of these songs. Right. And that gave me the idea to make the playlist was this idea of like, these guys are listening to these like heavy metal songs that are also kind of like a, a Im, not emotional in an emo way. I, I don't think these songs are about breaking up with a girlfriend and the girlfriend like being a bitch or something like that. It is like a type of music where it is a guy singing about his feelings, but he is terrified for people to think that he's singing about his feelings. It's like, cause right. that would be kind of the worst thing in the world for people to think to Damon, David Draymond, a guy who probably spent a lot of the two thousands talking shit about emo, whatever that kind of was, oh, you know, definitely. It's not real music. We, Oh yeah. All of that fallout boy stuff. That's not real. That's no, that's not the, they're not in the trenches with us. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's, it is, it is like, it's so clear that the sound of silence has gravit has has resonated with a bunch of people who it has resonated with a bunch of people who like would tell you I I'm an asshole. They would say I'm an asshole. And it's not a way of it's a way of explaining actually why they're not an asshole. You know what I mean? Like the people that wear the shirts that say like I'm an asshole, you know, I'm sarcastic. I think I know all the words to that song. I do too. I do too. <laughs> I drive very slow oh. in the, in ultra, the ultra fast, fast lane. lane while people <laughs> behind me are going insane. Yeah. I might not uh, it starts, know the uh, whole starts somewhere rant. down in the uh the cockles of the heart, maybe in the subcockle area, maybe in <laughs> I the might liver. Not know th- Maybe in the kidneys, maybe even in the colon. We don't know. (laughs) Yeah, I might not know the rant. The thing where he's like, I like to drive a fucking car. Oh, yes, yes. I could do it if the song was playing, I think, where he's like, uh, I'm going to get myself a 1967 Chevy Cadillac all whale leather or all cow leather interior with big brown baby seal eyes for headlights. Yeah. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to drive that thing, getting a a one mile per gallon down the freeway, sucking down McDonald's quarter pounder cheeseburgers and tossing the old fashioned non-biodegradable styrofoam containers right out the side. And there ain't a goddamn thing anybody can do about it. You know why? Two words, because we've got the bomb. That's why two words, nuclear fucking weapons. Okay. John Wayne's not dead. He's frozen. And when, (laughs) When they thaw off the dude, the dude. <laughs> yeah, he's going to be pretty pissed off. You know how pissed off he's going to be? You ever taken a cold shower? We'll multiply that by 50 million times. That's how pissed off the Duke's going to be. And we're going to get the Duke and John Cassavetes and Lee Marvin and, Lee Marvin. and Sam Peckinpah. <laughs> <laughs> what a dumb. That's a very what? divorce song. That's that like- is a huge divorce song. <laughs> that's, yeah. a, that's like a divorce song when you're in a good mood. When you're in a good mood. Yes. When you're like. When you're like, you know what? I'm finally getting over this. You're like driving your car and you're like, you know what? I am finally 
free of of my whore wife <laughs> you're driving down now, i'm not saying that that's the character i made up said that by the way before you get mad at me but there that's how they're driving down. yes i finally got rid of they play life in the fast lane and then they play asshole <laughs> in the yeah, car and it is it is <laughs> it is like a a an attitude of and this was me in most of the 2000s this is something i had to get over uh probably would have happened in I would have to say 2010 or so when I realized I wasn't just a guy that is an asshole and that's very funny. That's like what's charming about me, right? Right. I was just an asshole and yeah. people didn't want to be around me. I think I most people who are everybody. assholes imagine that they, they're the charming asshole type. Yeah. And that's like, that's, I think that's what, that's the vibe of a lot of, of the David Draymond type divorce songs is that like, I, I, uh, I'm me. I'm sarcastic. I'm a son of a bitch, but you know what? If I love you, I'll protect you. And he was probably a fucking asshole to, you know, his wife constantly without ever actually kind of saying it, you know? So, uh, I just found that. I just found it so funny that like he's divorced now. And everybody's like, this is going to be the worst music in the, in the world. Like this is going to, he's going to make the worst music in the more world. I am so fucking excited to hear the music he makes. If he does a solo oh. album, I'm so amped to hear. Oh, that would be even better. Day. Wouldn't it? That he's like, yeah. I got to do, I got to do like an acoustic, uh, solo record. <clears throat> I well, because isn't he, his other band's called like Device, right? He should make a band called Divorce. It's like D I colon Vorse. I would love something or something like that, or like there's a slash in there or something, or I don't know. But man, it'd be so good. I think, yeah. I, I there's been so much good stuff to come out of it. I mean, it uh, immediately, especially because we just covered them, flashed me back to those articles where he was talking about how he was doing this sort of like pre-Drake, like, oh, all these groupies want me and I'm fucking all these groupies, but it sucks, you know? Yeah. It's like a shitty life. I just want to have a wife and I'm like a hopeless romantic and this is, it's ruining me to have sex with a different woman every night. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> it's funny because like, where where is it at? Uh, there's a part of the article where it's like, our guitarist was writing a divorce song and i just kind of was like yeah i know how you feel uh you know we uh are both divorced he's selling his house that's why he let everybody know um, yeah didn't he didn't he first mention that he was selling his house in a tweet Fuck yeah man oh here it is draymond <laughs> touched upon his divorce again later in the interview when the conversation turned to the disturbed song don't tell me which appears on the band's latest album divisive with hearts and wilson the track was inspired by disturbed guitarist Dan Donegan's own recent divorce. Mine hadn't been finalized yet when the song was written, David revealed. And to be honest, when I wrote the song, I didn't realize how prophetic it was going to be. I kind of hate that shit, he laughs. It ended up becoming not just about Dan's divorce, unfortunately. It wasn't exactly the same situation, but I definitely have added reverence for the song. and It has added meaning and power to me, especially now, which is like, hey, you know, we were already working on a divorce song and I just, I got, I, I did the lyrics for the divorce song. I think this is the most powerful divorce song ever written, which disturbed writing disturbed is in the process now 
I think, of writing a divorce album, right? Definitely. Yeah, and that's exciting. That is, I mean, I want him to do a solo album in the style of Sounds of Silence. I would really like that. Something to that effect. Like, I feel like that's what he should do, you know? I would, uh, I welcome it all. I mean, I think if you, if you have two of the four members of disturbed coming off of divorces, that's already, you're in a great, cause the thing, I think what's exciting to me about it is that David Draymond, and he's shown this in the past, like his divorce songs, like there will be like, I think when you think of divorce songs, you think of like sad sack, lonely man, that it's behind angry. blue eyes, you know, I'm oh, you know, no one knows what it's like. Like, I think people think of that uh, more often than they think of like angry divorce songs, I think. And I think David Draymond is going to go hard like he is going to be like there could be a straight up a song where he's just like, fuck you, Mary, you fucking bitch. Fuck you. Like, he's just going to yeah. pop off, like just directly pop off right on right on her and he's not going to care and it's going to be extremely funny well i guess he won't be popping off on her anymore but uh, no and there's no more there's no more but he is going i mean there's no way that he doesn't see this as her fault i mean oh no, i, I think he would course. say he would say like yeah you know we both had fault in it and stuff like that but there's no way that he's going to write a song he, that he's going to write a song like that. You know what I mean? Where he's like, I did a lot of wrong things, you know? Yeah. He should do a country album. Oh my God. Go full Aaron Lewis. Yeah. He go. he should go Aaron Lewis and they should go on tour tour together. together yes. Yeah. Him and Aaron Lewis playing sheds together would be so funny to me. And, and uh, what's his name? Sully. They could do a spoken word for <laughs> now. That's the fucking dream right there. I would travel anywhere in the country to see Aaron Lewis, Sully from Godsmack, and David Draymond do a spoken word tour. It would be the best day of my life at the thing. Maybe a and a so I can ask them questions. It's going to be great. Uh, That's the I dream. Spoken that. word. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how I could not go to a David Draymond spoken word thing. Like, like You'd I, have to I would. I'd be there live. I'd have to be there live. Now I have a passport. If it was in fucking London, I would go to fucking London to see that. And I'm not even going to London to see AEW. So, you know. Um, so that's a, ser- that's a serious commitment. I actually wish I was going to London. I did look up uh, flights and stuff like that and uh, ticking out. Decided to go to Toronto instead. But, uh, that's fair. He, Toronto yeah, says. It, it, yeah. It's so funny that he's divorced because, you know, I, I thought he, I would have thought he already was. One hundred percent. Yeah. Pardon me. I think I think we I think we all did. I mean, I think we all thought that. And also, what I'm curious about, Bry, and I think this will be the first sign uh, of true divorce. David Draymond. Does he bring the tusks back? I think I think he brings them back. I I don't because he did that. He did say like it's he's too old to do the tusks. But I do think. He does make some sort of thing out of it. You know, like something new will happen. I don't think it's the tusks. It could be, but I just think something new is going to happen. He's going to make, because, okay, let me, 
let me add a wrinkle to this. I am fully okay. convinced that when he po- he did a post about Duckface yes. the other night. Yes. I'm fully convinced that dude was fucking uh, on Tinder. Yes. Like scrolling through t- So he's already, he's already, it's going to get messy as hell. And, you know, I've seen that happen in the past to other people. So, uh, you know, we'll see. I'm excited. I'm excited for this new journey I'm going to take with Mr. David Draymond. I loved the uh, I loved the duck face tweet. I mean, it was just I incredible. Too. I told me, him, I, I, you know how I am. I always try to encourage him. I do the same thing with Tony Khan a lot of times where like I just am like he will he will get in a frenzy of posting. You just have to like let him know, you know, ah, you know, everybody thinks they're a critic. That's what I told him. Everybody thinks they're a critic. They don't know what it takes to be funny. And uh, I feel like it encourages them. But I also know he name searches, so he might have blocked me by now for the divorce. Oh, dude, he just uh, yes, today, five hours ago, he posted a selfie and he he the caption is for those who say they never get to see me smile, but he's not actually smiling. He's kind of just going like. Who's his friend? Like, I wonder. It's like a pursed lips, uh, cut, but that's definitely a like, hey, ladies, what's up? I'm out here. Let me get, let me get going. You know, he's probably fucking so much. It's crazy. oh my god, look at this! And then he's posted another picture of some metal women. I don't know if they're in a band or something. Just says this is such a cool pick. I'm proud to call these amazing <laughs> women my friends and colleagues. We need more of this. All you young women out there, don't be afraid to rock. You deserve to become the goddesses these women have. He's so horny. The guy is. He is he horny just, as shit. Yeah, oh, these are all theory of a dead man. So that's good. Uh, that's a that's a good. <clears throat> is it theory of the dead man? Is the other? Oh, and insanely yeah. divorced. It, big time. I think it is. Oh yeah, yeah. Ed- Edmonton show update. Wow, Disturbed is playing arenas still. That's crazy to me. They still sell. Well, actually, I just saw their album sales for the recent album, and <laughs> they're not that perfect. You know, anyone uh, want to buy a beautiful 000? house in Pinecrest, Florida? Oh my God, no, my point. account didn't ha- get hacked. It's me. It's mine. Yeah, I'm looking. I'm, oh I have God. to find if five point five million dollar home. Wow. Prime location, yeah. one of the most sought after neighborhoods in Miami. Seven bedrooms, six and a half bathrooms, 9,700 total square feet, 25,000 square foot lot offered at 5.5 million. Damn. Is, is Theory of a Dead Man the I'm so sick of the homeless people? Homeless guys? people, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. They're perfect. That's another. Yeah. They sing so many songs about women, too. The bitch came back the very next day. I listened, I played that on Buttfest on uh my patreon so uh yeah this oh, is a perfect couple dude, of bands the to tour this is really good because i'm hoping that this is in r- r- relation to something that he said uh on stage because so disturbed posted some pictures from their show in quebec city and then david draymond retweeted it and then habs fan 1978 wrote i was introduced to you by a friend saw you perform in montreal and you were fire emoji Music has no boundaries. I'm a brown guy, and I saw so many different races and colors in the crowd. Magical. Your voice is amazing. You would kill Ain't No Sunshine by Bill Withers. Oh, Lord, please do it. Please. 
please. Which I don't makes know why. I think that David Draymond, either they did it, like maybe he played like 10 seconds of it, but man, David Draymond singing like, ain't no sunshine when she's gone. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the hope, right? Like, is that oh. like, he has to be thinking, like, what oh, is my, my God, next? Dude. What is my next, like, big hit? I, I need a big hit. And and doing the thing where you're like, well, yeah, we just do a cover. Uh, that was what launched us back into the mainstream was was that cover. Uh, so it is very funny that they that he could be working on something like this. And Ain't No Sunshine is like a perfect song. Perfect. For that. Yeah. Especially, like, if they make it kind of, like, rock, like, rocky. <laughs> Ain't no sunshine when she's gone. Uh, yeah, this is the tweet right here. April 30th. Ladies, dot, 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 please, dot, dot, dot. Stop doing the duck face in pictures. No one really digs it. It looks awkward as all hell. It's not attractive. Stop it. Sp- or, uh, line break, line break, please. LOL. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that is, that is like guy <sighs> scrolling through 10. Really good. Is what that is. So, yeah. So that is that is what he's up to. Man, his his uh is Draymond's Twitter is as good as it's ever it's been. It's so good. I love this one too. Mitch Lafon tweets, "Hey at David M Draymond, I'm curious from your era of rock, who do you think deserves to be inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Papa Roach, Nickelback, Shine Down, Disturbed, Other?" And then someone replied, musical excellence is the essential qualification for induction. I don't know if the meat and potatoes derivative arena rock made by these bands are up to it. Then David Draymond gives him the middle finger emoji. uh, And then uh, 10 minutes later goes back in shaking my head. There's always there always has to be some elitist prick who has no idea how to even write a song that decides to sit in judgment over guys who have done it successfully for 20 plus years and then he retweeted himself replying that to the guy so that his yeah. followers would go after the guy. <laughs> I love it. I I love it. And also it is we are recording this on the divorce man's favorite <sighs> holiday and that is Rock and Roll Hall of Fame oh, announcements. That's true. That inductions i mean that i mean it is that is the boomers big day you know they they get to get mad we got some pretty good inductions here and the truth is all those bands are going to be in that's the thing that people don't understand about this rock and roll hall of fame everybody gets in I, yeah it I, has nothing to do with musical quality that was a very <laughs> funny reply no it doesn't it, it it has it's the same thing that i describe with guys a lot of time is like this is my permanent show now so i'm not in a fucking hurry to get all the most obvious ones out of the way same thing with this show it's like we were always very conscious like well i mean we can't just do the first we can't just do the first five corn albums in a row we had to spread corn out through the whole thing but people had always expected us to hit these other to hit these big albums from day one and it's like we can't do that we have to do this i mean in theory we have to do this forever so (laughs) exactly and that's what i say about guys to people i was like guys is my job dude yeah and i can't just be like yeah uh wrestling guys we're gonna do that right now it's like no that could come two years from now it's yeah. one I know I can do. And uh, people are just so anxious to kind of hear what they 
to hear what they want to hear. So uh, they always tell you to knock. They want you to knock things out really fast. Um, I don't even know why I brought that up. Now I feel like an idiot. <laughs> I was trying to figure out what the connective thread to that was I, while I you were just, talking. I don't but, remember uh, now. I fucking was talking and then I lost it. I got so much going on and, and I got so much work to do. Oh, uh, it's, it's fine, look brother. I sales guys Can for the I, next 24 hours. I'm really but, sorry. You're good, brother. It's all good, baby. Uh, this is very funny, though. Right before we get to rage, uh, can I please tell you uh, when I was looking at David Draymond's Twitter, uh, Corey Taylor popped up in the suggested yes. follows. Can I please tell you what Corey Taylor, his display name is right now? What is it? Fuck your check mark. <laughs> yeah, he's woke. <laughs> wow. Corey Taylor's the woke one, actually. <laughs> David Draymond not woke at all. Anti. No, no. He's like, they're doing two shows in Israel. He, half of his tweets are just retweets of, uh, like, I just started following him because his tweets are so good right now. But then I'm going to have to deal with all this, like, uh, pro-Israel stuff in my yeah. timeline, which is going to be very weird. It's annoying when you're looking at it, but it is worth it to get, like, really funny selfies and stuff and it's kind of uh it's kind of a good he takes time. a lot of selfies yeah. it's it's oh, impressive you know what the connection was now i i, I remember the connection it is okay. that like the rock and roll hall of fame can't put everybody in oh i see right At away once. they got or, it right yes yeah they have to, it's yes. a fucking fake thing it's right yeah the first year arc. they couldn't be like okay it's the rolling stones the beatles <laughs> uh metallica elvis <laughs> elvis <laughs> yeah, yeah. the eagles like they all out. get in it that's it's all the same year <laughs> they're all Always talk about, that's the big thing at wrestling right is the wwe hall of fame is like people are like i can't believe this guy's not in there i was like he's getting in unless he's chris benoit he's getting in it's just gonna happen on their own fucking time we we know that everybody basically that's wrestled for the company for any amount of time is gonna get in yeah and yeah. like uh the rock and roll hall of people melting down and freaking out because bad company isn't in a rock and roll hall of fame who fucking cares they're gonna get in there's gonna be a time where they're like let's put rock let's put bad company in a rock and roll hall of fame secondly you can like bad company with them not being in a rock and roll hall. it's very easy to enjoy music that's not in the rock and roll hall of fame oh, and, I, and yeah people melt down about it every time <laughs> like they don't know what it is uh, or and they'll always say it's a cash grab like ah oh, this rock and roll hall of fame it's a freaking Duh. cash grab it's like everything is a cash grab everything, everything is a tv <laughs> everything is a cash grab you know who hates cash grabs Rage Against the Machine. Uh, oh God, that is they're who the funniest we about that. They're, this is oh, great. it's the, we're gonna we're gonna get into all of that. Uh, so yeah, this month finally uh, we are covering Rage Against the Machine's second studio album, Evil Empire. It came out on April sixteenth, nineteen ninety six. It was recorded at Cole Rehearsal Studios in Los Angeles, California, produced by Brendan O'Brien, who uh, you know is a familiar Have name time. to many. Rock fans, uh, yeah, he's done ACDC, Pearl Jam, Stone Temple Pilots, Soundgarden, Red Hot Chili Peppers, Bob Dylan, Bruce Springsteen. As you said, I believe he's worked with Deftones, some I other new metal did. bands. Uh, it's very possible. I can look at the full list here, but he's done uh, 
He's done a ton of stuff. Uh, he did Limp Biscuit. Uh, he mixed, mixed Significant Other and Chocolate Starfish. He produced Issues by Corn. Uh, so yeah, it doesn't look like Deftones unless he did late era Deftones. He's done a lot of Train. Uh, he did Incubuses, If Not Now, When. He's done The Killers, My Chemical Romance. So yeah, anyway, a, a huge producer, massive producer. Uh, and he produced Evil Empire, which, <clears throat> pardon me, extremely successful album as i said came out in april of 1996 uh it has been certified triple platinum by the recording industry association of america and that happened in the year 2000 so pretty quickly uh it peaked at number one on the u.s billboard 200 selling 249,000 copies in its first week of sales it has gone uh, as far as chart goes uh it, it topped the charts in sweden uh uk rock and metal charts the Billboard 200, as I said, number two in Australia, Austria, Belgium, and Germany, and Norway. Uh, just, yeah, did very, very well on all of those charts. It's been certified gold in Australia, Belgium, Spain, and the UK, three times platinum in America, one time platinum in Canada. Three of the songs on this record have been nominated for Grammys. Uh, weirdly enough, they won a Grammy for tire me, which wasn't even released as a single. They won the 1996 Grammy for best metal performance. This is very strange, Brian. They were nominated for, uh, they were nominated for best rock, hard rock performance for bulls on parade in 1997. They were also nominated for best metal performance for tire me in 1997. They won that one. And then in 1998, People of the Sun was nominated for Best Hard Rock Performance again as well. So the Grammys, very strange, very odd. Uh, we'll play our favorite game in a minute where you guess the other Grammy nominees. But Bulls on Parade, also a massive single. Uh, it was the first single off of the record. This album spawned three singles, by the way. Bulls on Parade, People of the Sun, and Viet Cong. Uh, this uh, Bulls on Parade peaked at number one on the UK rock and metal charts, number 11 on the alternative charts in America, peaked at number one in Finland, number three on the Canadian rock and alternative charts, uh, and is well known as one of the best songs of all time, was voted number 15 on VH1's 40 greatest metal songs. The guitar solo was listed at number 23 on Guitar World's 100 greatest guitar solos of all time. Uh, it's done very well in Australia in the, their annual triple J, uh, stuff. It's, uh, yeah, a huge song for them. And, uh, yeah, before we get to the Grammy stuff, I guess, Brian, let's first talk about your rage against the machine experience. You said you liked their first album. You didn't like evil empire when it first came out, what was going on for you in 1996, uh, when this record dropped actually funny, um, <clears throat> My, uh, I, I had heard a little bit of Rage Against the Machine, and I, I was way into corn and stuff like that. Um, but I had never really listened to them. And my, bro my brother said they suck because they talk about politics too much. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I didn't really give them a chance. And uh, I was at a concert, and they played Bullet in Your Head uh, over the speakers, and the audience started moshing. So they just kept playing. They played the album all the way through. And the audience was fucking losing their mind when the lights were up and there was nobody on stage. And it fucking blew my mind. Also, it was like, I, I remember asking who this is. And somebody was like, it's Rage Against the Machine. I was like, this is the best music ever made. Like that, that it was, they were doing rapping and they were doing rock music. And like, uh, 
it it just it did everything I wanted it to do. And then Evil Empire, I remember coming out, and again was like, ah, you know that Bulls on Parade. That's a that's a fucking good song. And a guy that was friends with me saying like, yeah, the rest of the album sucks. So I listened to the rest of the album. I thought it. I don't know why, but I was like, this sucks. And this album is probably more punk than any of their other stuff. Like there's songs where I'm like, man, is it like revolver is a song that I didn't like that. I thought just kind of sounded like them doing a, a punk album, which, you know, I wasn't interested in that at the time. So, you know, I think this album is super uneven, but I also think that this is people's, I mean, there's probably a lot of people that think this is great. I don't know what the reception to this was because it was like so negative in my world that I didn't even really give it a fair chance until it had been out for like 10 years. Yeah, it's a weird one in that like even the the critics and we don't talk too much about critic reviews on the show. But it's very split. And even from people you would expect to rate it better, like NME gave it five out of 10, which like, you know, NME is a hard rock uh, often features a lot of hard rock and it's not a hard rock magazine, but you would think something like what Rage was doing would have really hit with them. Um, but then it did very well in other places where you wouldn't think it would like uh, like Chris Gow in the uh, Village Voice uh, gave it an A minus. He loved it. Um, yeah. Which, you know, you would think that he wasn't, you know, he we were just talking about him on the the singles episode. You know, he hated most new metal. He was not a new metal guy at all. This is his review of it. Three years late. It's the militant rap metal. Everybody knew was the next big thing. Zach DeLaRocca will never be Linton Quasey Johnson, but collegiate leftism beats collegiate lots of other things, not to mention high school misogyny. And it takes natural esthetes like these to pound home such a sledgehammer analysis. A minus. Number one, picking Linton Quasey Johnson. Yeah, I had to look him up. Oh, I studied him in university, actually. Yeah, great uh, black poet, but. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know any poets, but it's funny. It, something I noticed, I guess we'll talk about this on the articles, is that the people that interviewed them hated their politics. Oh, Every yeah. single person that interviewed these guys hated their fucking politics, which is very funny now because they're considered these. I mean, people, the, the, the leftists are all in the media. Uh, so it's very, can you guys hear all this noise? No. Okay, good. I was worried about that. Uh, they're mowing the grass outside my house. Oh no, you're good. Being incredibly loud about the whole thing. You know, the, the fucking weed eater and the big mower all at the same time. Like they, oh, they yeah, have, yeah, yeah. they have a riding mower. And if you saw the size of my yard, it would make you sick that they're doing it. On riding. <laughs> <laughs> like it takes like it does on, on you know those big riding mowers where you stand on the back on the little rolly yeah. thing and yeah. mow it, yeah it does four lines and the whole thing's done oh my god it's uh, 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 uh four lines and then they're out of here but it's just it's incredibly loud for a moment but anyway they i'm looking at these i might have to check out some linton quesi johnson i just thought it was funny good that poet they definitely compare everybody like anybody political, they they 
have to compare them to them and and what they got and the thing is i have like a weird connection to this now uh this this argument this debate now anyway in that like i did a leftist podcast for 12 years and uh i can tell you that a certain amount of disillusionment comes in near the end in which i can see why they're not making new albums i i think and like i i admire that they and i felt the same way that like if we could just if we could just like explain to people you know the problems and stuff like that they'll all change and we'll have a revolutionary moment and and you start thinking about that and obviously when you start a podcast or radio show your goal is to get in front of as much people anyway and you're just like if i could just get in front of a million people i could change a million people's minds and turn them into leftists and i think that's what rage against the machine uh during the time of evil empire we're really thinking like hey we do a video and it talks about leonard peltier uh, that probably radicalized thousands of people, and I would lean towards that probably radicalized a hundred people. <laughs> yeah. M- well, I mean, and they- I think I think it's got to be different too because rage at the time was so big that yeah. there was not like I would actually argue that Street Fight Radio or Chapo even. Um, is a more effective way of disseminating leftist politics because rage is so big. The audience isn't going to feel a connection to them, right? Like, I think that's the thing is I felt no connection to rage's politics. I think bulls on parade is a fucking unbelievable song. I think it's one of the best songs I've ever heard in my life, but I'm also, it did not convince me to become more politically charged I just liked the song, but I think it's because part of it is that I felt very divorced from rage themselves. They're playing these big arenas. They can do these interviews and talk about the politics or whatever, but there's not, it's not the same as a podcast where you feel like you get to know the hosts. You feel, you know, like you have a relationship with them, whether that's healthy or not is a topic for another time, but you maybe have a parasocial relationship with the podcast hosts or whatever. It feels more intimate. Like what Rage was doing is, and and again, I think commendable, you know, the idea of, oh, we're going to write this great music and then the great music will be the vehicle for the political message. But at some point they got too big where the message became less important because, there was there it they lacked that personal connection to their audience i think that I, I that i believe would be fostered more with a pod well you also i mean you're micro targeting too i i don't i i personally don't think we changed anybody's mind because we never got in front of anybody that disagreed with us sure sure it's people are seeking I always out think about right people are seeking out a podcast that agrees with them Yes. And and with Rage Against the Machine, it is I think they changed some I think they hipped some people to some causes mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. maybe they wouldn't like the the uh uh the Chiapas Mexico thing, the easy yeah, the Zapatistas. Yeah, I think I think for sure that like some people learned about them from Rage Against the Machine. I That's I true. thought and I think that some people learned about Leonard Peltier and Mumia Abdul Jamal Jam- them all right i I don't want to get that wrong but 
I think people learned about him. I just don't know if I feel like those people heard about it and they were like Leonard Peltier. Yeah, we, somebody's got to do something about that, which is like what ends up happening with everybody. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that's what I always felt. I at the, near the end of Street Fight, I started to feel like I was just saying somebody ought to do something about this. And yeah. like, <laughs> that's not a message well, that that's not a a, a message uh, for success. It's like and Rage Against the Machine, like I think they knew what needed to be done and stuff like that. I think maybe. Uh, Tom Morello is is kind of a a, a weird dude. He, he goes to Harvard, which is yeah. insane, and also sees, which this is something that I tend to feel about. One of the things that always struck me about, you know, being in this, like, deep leftist thing was that, like, Harvard is not something that is to be looked up to, and nope. he still has that sort of thing. Where he's like, uh, I went to Harvard, so I, I do know a lot. And now all that does for me, for leftists, is uh, I would say all that is is delegitimize a lot of the stuff he's saying. Yeah. And for non-leftists, they say, yeah, he went to Harvard. He's smart. I like the way the song rips. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, I yeah. like the idea. It, it, you know what it is? It's almost like rap in a way which is funny because a lot of the article you sent me were wu-tang clan stuff it is almost like rap where people are like hey i want to listen to these guys i i want to i i this is exciting i get to hear some leftists sing <laughs> you know what i mean yeah and yeah. and like i i don't have to enter the world like uh like with rap where it's like i don't have to go to these places that they're rapping about i i'm the, the classic reason that white guys love that they say white teenagers love rap is because they're hearing about things that happen in a place that they've never been and it's sort of exoticized and i sort of think that rage against the machine in the end really just ended up being like uh hey, totally. let's listen to these leftists because i i don't i just don't know anybody that was listening to rage for leftist reasons and almost everybody i knew listened to rage against the machine you know well, like, i also there wasn't a lot of people when evil empire came out if you were into like rock music there just weren't a lot of people that weren't into it i you know when they announced that tour right before covid it was everybody was going to that thing yeah everybody yeah yeah i mean that's the thing right it's 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 always a double-edged sword. And, and I think you're right too. Like, I, I think it's a really good point about the sort of exoticism, you know, rage was very focused a lot of the time on things happening outside us borders. And so mm -hmm. there's even that sense of, okay, let's imagine in 1996, there's some politically charged. And I think it's less, I think when you were a teenager in that time period, politics weren't really a thing as much like you, cause you just, you weren't online, you weren't engaging with politics in that way. Like you would have had to be a high school kid, like reading the newspaper yeah. to be like engaged in politics and stuff. So that just didn't, I'm not saying it didn't exist. Of course it did, but it's like on such a smaller scale. And then even if you were like, okay, Oh my God, finally a band has come along that shares the same politics that I do. Then all of a sudden they're talking about, you know, Tibet and the Zapatistas and stuff where you're like, okay, well, 
yeah, I agree. I'm on their side of these arguments, but I can't do anything about what's happening in Chiapas. Like I'm not that's I can't offer anything to that, you know, sort of discussion. And I think I think with with rage too, from my personal experience when rage was was getting big. I mean, so 1996, I'm 11. So I'm not like when Evil Empire comes out, I it's nowhere near my my realm of thinking I'm still listening to like Cheryl Crow and stuff, but like when battle of Los Angeles comes out, that's a little bit more when I'm in the new metal vein. And then of course I'm hearing old rage, you know, bomb track and killing in the name and people of the sun and bulls on parade. I'm hearing the singles, the politics were scary to me. Like, like Zach was scary to me. Like when you watch a rage video he looks angry. He looks like a madman kind of. And so it's like, I like the song, but I don't understand the politics. And I'm actually, it's like actively not turning me off. Cause I still loved the songs always, but it was, there was an element to it that was actually frightening in a way where I was like, God, these guys are really, they're really fucking on one here. Like, this is crazy. Like I, you know, I, I, I could never connect at least at that age, you know, I'm talking about now I'm like 13 or 14 when I'm hearing these songs at that age, there was like, uh, <clears throat> yeah, there was like a scariness to it to me. And I've talked about being scared by new metal bands before. So it's also partly a me problem. I'm, I was a bit of a sheltered, uh, you know, a sheltered suburban white kid, but like there was an element to their music of just like, God, what the, f- what is going on? Like it, it didn't turn me off. I guess what I'm trying to say is that didn't turn me off of rage, but it did turn me off of like, I'm going to be a massive fan of this band. It was like, I would hear bulls on parade. I'm like, that's a great song. No shelter on the Godzilla soundtrack. That's a great song. Like I would hear these songs and I'd be like, these are great songs, but I never was tempted to be like, I got to hear everything else. These guys got going on. Yeah. I mean that, a lot of the stuff was super confusing to me uh not really knowing i mean i remember seeing them at woodstock 99 and being like uh wow they burned a fucking flag man that's crazy you don't you know what i mean like all of that stuff to me was like it made me fucking it it made me nervous you know to say i remember i always talked about this with street fight was like the first time i said you know, I don't think America is the best country in the world. That was like a scary thing for me to say. <laughs> you yeah, know what I course. mean? Like it, it just felt like I was in trouble, I guess would be the, uh, I would get in trouble for saying that and that the CIA would swoop in and get, but <laughs> yeah, I just, <laughs> this, this album comes to me in such a weird time in my life because I definitely do have, I, I still feel feel the same way i felt about stuff when i was doing street fight and stuff there isn't a part of me that doesn't feel that way um i have trouble with being disillusioned because i feel like and this has nothing to do with anybody else this has everything to do with me i just feel like i i was doing this show for 12 years and nothing changed and like as a matter of fact you know you would say that uh, our side lost over and over again. And I've heard this expressed by other 
podcasters that were part of that movement too. That is just kind of like, it just, it's hard because like in my mind, I'm disillusioned and I don't think we can win, but I can't say that in on a show. And I think rage against the machine was, that's the thing about them. That's I think why they quit making albums in like other than whatever personal issues those guys had. Yeah. It seems like they uh, hate each other big time. It doesn't seem like they like each other, but I actually think that they would have made more, would have made more music. And I think that like you just, you make this thing, you feel like you're like carefully explaining these things. Cause this was, this was not a subtext thing that they were doing. They were saying exactly the words. And I always, I, I admired that very much in the early days of street fight. I always said, just say the words. Don't, don't try to get people to understand what you're saying. You need to just say what you're saying. So I don't blame Rage Against the Machine at all for people not quite understanding their music. I just think I found the articles interesting because you can tell it's very early in their career still. And like, uh, you know, I think they still believe in that stuff. But, you know, I listened to a Tom Morello interview on Howard Stern and it just felt like he... It, it kind of felt like he was saying, I just want to rock dude. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like that he had become disillusioned, uh, maybe not disillusioned by, but the, the press was actively, uh, I felt actively anti- antagonistic to rage against the machine in these articles that I read. I mean, they would never, just for example, what was that? What was the poet guy's name? Shit. Linton, Linton Quasi Johnson. So he puts out albums, right? Am I right about that? Yeah. Linton yeah, Quasi yeah. Johnson. Okay. So he puts out these albums. He's got dub albums and stuff like that. Um, and I- I'll bet you he was never, he didn't have to answer why he was signed to Island Records every fucking time. Like, like they, they, that, like they weren't they go into these interviews with like the LA times and stuff like that. And they're like, don't you think it's a little weird that you're like anti-corporate, but you're with Epic records. <laughs> it's just like, yeah, we're trying to get in front of as many people as we totally. can. Like what's yeah. the fucking point in treating it like a niche thing. And I admire them for that. But I, Cause I think being like, we want to get in front of millions of people and you can't do that without an Epic records. So you just do it. They, their music, never sounded like it was affected by label politics and stuff like that. To me, these songs are saying what they fucking mean. I don't think the label stopped them from anything. I do think the label saw it as a gimmick, which is something that comes up in one of the articles, but they like the gimmick, you know? Yeah. Well, and I think to, to speak to your earlier point, I think more specifically it was Zach, right. That got burned out by the, and he's the one writing all the lyrics and I'm sure, you know, Tim and Brad and, uh, and Tom shared politics with Zach. I'm, you know, obviously you couldn't be in a band that was so overtly political without being on the same team, but it, to me, that was the thing, right? Is like, that's why Tom kept doing like profits of rage and doing all that stuff where he was still actively engaging in the sort of political music movement. Cause it seems in a way that Tom felt like Tom felt more like it was maybe making a difference or felt like, or felt like he still could, I guess. Yeah. Whereas 
Zach was the one it seemed like after Battle of Los Angeles comes out and Renegades to that kind of sort of counts. Um, you know, they like it seemed like Zach in particular because he just is done with music, right? Like we, you know, we heard he was going to release a solo album forever. That kind of never really happens. He doesn't even really make that many guest appearances. Like he shows up on run the jewels stuff, but that's one day as a lion is the big thing he's done. Yeah. And so like, you know, you're talking about over two decades where Zach has basically done nothing musical. Um, and I think, yeah, I think he was the one that really felt like, you know, he really took it on the chin of like, oh, maybe we're we're really just not making a difference. And it also seems like when you read the articles and stuff, he seems to be the one who would have had the most issue with some of those contradictions that were being pointed out. Like, I think Tom seems like he was always fine. Like, yeah, we're signed to Epic Records and who cares? That's the way we got to get in front of everybody. It is what it is. And Zach seemed a little bit more conflicted about stuff like that. Like, oh, we got to sell these concert tickets to 20,000 people. We got to be on Epic Records. We got to sell T-shirts. You know, it seemed like Zach had more of an issue with that end of it, that like in order to spread his message, Rage still had to be a business. And it felt like he struggled with that more than the other guys did. And I think that is probably what ended up leading to their sort of eventual destruction. It's interesting that you say that because I I am actually thinking – in terms of like in the early year, you know what? It's not even street fight. Isn't the thing I should bring up. Chapo is the, is the thing that I should bring up. That is still like pretty fiercely independent thing. They don't, they don't work for anybody and they say whatever the fuck they want to say on their show, but their success has, immediate like their success immediately had a side of the the a part of the left immediately lining up to be like we got to take these guys down this is this this is bad and it's like i know those guys and i know they believe what i know that they have good politics and i know what they believe i've hung out with them a lot and and i know them but like there is a part of and and this could be something that goes on with all these guys. There is a part of the left that once you start making big money or whatever, that that makes you yeah, you're a bad. You're you're a sellout. You're asking for money. Uh, you know, even with me, I had people come after me for the amount of money I was making on Street Fight, which was five thousand less than five thousand dollars a month. It wasn't a ton of money back then. Yeah, yeah. and um. I yeah, it's like, that, like there seems to be an arbitrary number for people and it's <laughs> different for everyone like Chapo. You can kind of see in the sense that like, yeah, they're rich guys basically. But then like but then it's weird to find that like some people's bar is like, oh, you make over two hundred dollars a month off of your <laughs> podcast. Fuck you, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're exactly right. And and like when you talk about being disillusioned with what you're doing you got to imagine that rage against the machine in regular circles were loved because they were this this band that was just fucking heavy and nothing else sounded like it and like zach has a cool voice and like they make songs that are very fun 
to sing like you know it was always very fun to do fuck you i won't do what you tell me and, oh of course and like down rodeo was always a very popular song for yep. people to sing and like fucking awesome song yeah and you can see that like you can imagine that like yeah like a guy like me at that time loved the music but i loved it because it was loud and heavy and the guy was rapping like that's what i loved about it i don't think any of the politics seeped into my mind at all i mean now i think about it i'm like leonard peltier you know i guess i would have never heard that name yeah if they hadn't made t-shirts with him and stuff and the freedom video wasn't you know dedicated to him so yeah they did teach me stuff it just i i don't know that i quite took the message to heart in that way and then they also have to operate in leftist circles and uh you know 1990s leftist circles were much smaller poor poorer too like it's like yeah okay well i can go on this tour and make this amount of money or i can play leftist political rallies for zero dollars like at some point there does there does have to be a, a, a capitalist angle to it otherwise you're not you can't live you know i've always felt like the 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 reason the the way that you the, the thing is is like you just make making money secondary to politics but understand that you have to make money and i yeah. think that's a lot of like how the fuck i used to say this about street fight all the time too how the fuck am i supposed to make a podcast like prep a show every week and and go on tour and do these live shows and stuff like that if i'm not making any money doing it like where would i get the time to yeah. make this thing and i remember and there's a line I'll, i'm i'm going to read a little piece of one of the articles real sure. quick cuz yep. it's something that like used to come up a lot it used to come up a lot with us at times and this is a la times article called up against the wall and uh is that right? Yeah. Would Noam Chomsky object to his works being sold at Barnes and Noble? No, because that's where people buy their books. We're not interested in preaching to the just converted. It's great to play abandoned squats run by anarchists, but it's also great to be able to reach people with a revolutionary message, people from Granada Hills to Stuttgart. And I do remember like on a lot of tours, there was this thing of like, hey, there's this like DIY venue that you can perform in, or you can perform in a, you know, kind of local bar that hosts comedy shows and, and bands and stuff like that. And people would always say like, why didn't you do, you know, why don't you guys do the squad or, or the DIY venue? And the reason was because like, there are so many people that will not go to a DIY venue. Like people don't want to just go to some house that's smelly. You know what I mean? Like that's not (laughs) what people want to do. And I, in order to perform in Seattle, Portland, San Francisco, Los Angeles, San Diego, and in order to do that tour, money has to, the maximum amount of money that you can make has to come in because it's a expensive undertaking to be on vacation to be on the road with seven (laughs) or eight people it's so expensive to do that and like uh i wonder if the 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 thing that's disconcerting to these guys was that like okay like 
we're in front of more people than any honestly they're in front of more people than most leftists have ever been i mean they gotta be some of the oh, most yeah. exposed leftists in the fucking world i i would guess oh easily easily yeah yeah, yeah. So, especially like, with were... how raw it was right like i mm-hmm. think i think you too is a is an example of a band that could pro at least certainly in their beginning could be described as leftist um and you know whether they're still that way who knows but like ban it's always like leftists who have gotten big it's always through coded messaging it's not like you know you two yeah. yeah you know they had sunday bloody sunday and pride in the name of love and whatever but it's like you wouldn't listen to pride in the name of love and be like oh that's a song about martin luther king jr like yeah. you wouldn't hear that in the song whereas like rage is like I'm going to put a fucking bullet in your head, you fucking piece of shit. Like, you know, they were saying as far as like not only being leftist, but like saying the thing, they were definitely the biggest as far as there was no there was no coded messaging in rage. Like you knew exactly what you were getting for sure. I mean, the band is called Rage Against the Machine. Well, you know, I would say that a lot of the appeal of of the Street Fight stuff was just saying things. You know what I mean? Just saying, like, I want to do cocaine because forever, like, artists would pretend like they didn't do it. You know what I mean? And, like, I want to, I'm shoplifting. Like, you know, I got, I figured out when I was doing stand up what people like me to do. And what people like me to do is just say it, say the thing. And, you know, I would do jokes about, like, stealing my daughter's cough syrup to get fucked up and stuff like that. And like, uh, that's the stuff that people kind of got into. So when, you know, it comes time to launch this leftist podcast that I'm doing, it's like the thing that I need to do is say the, say it out loud. And it really, again, it really helped early on. Uh, it was early on. People were like really appreciative of that and, and like really happy to hear it. But as things progressed, especially looking at like 2017, 2018, uh, you know, people are mad because we're friends with the Chapo guys. People are mad because we're making this amount of money that we're not playing the right venues. We're not letting the right people table at our shows. And like none of these things were done on purpose. It was just like. People, I mean, they want and I understand it. They want the people that are they want the people that claim to be representing them to be pure. And yeah. uh, I totally fucking understand. And I, I feel the same way, but I don't think rage against the machine is them being on a major label is inherently not leftist. They, they want it, it, I always used to say this leftism. Isn't a fucking hipster thing. You don't want to be exclusionary when you're doing this thing. You can't, you can't say I don't want you to be a leftist because you listen to the wrong music. <laughs> like you don't want that to be kind of the thing. You want it to get in front of as many people as possible, and that's how I always felt with us. And I, you know, hey, that's I think Chapo, they do go out and say the right things in front of the maximum amount of people, and they have like a voice. And I think they have, I think that like Rage Against the Machine was was sort of the same thing they they like said a bunch of things that people liked and maybe they preached to the converted but i do think they got in front of more working class people than almost any other 
leftist period i mean we're talking about like people in the soviet union and stuff like that maybe but like in the united states i can't think of a message that was more like not coded and also like had real principles i can't i can't think of anything like that yeah no i agree okay let's talk about the music itself because uh you know we've been focused a lot on the politics here but uh you know i think for me, this was uh, the first time I've listened to Evil Empire in full in a long time. Um, you know, Damn I would have heard it. I would have heard it back in the day. But again, it's with Rage. They've always been a singles band for me. I'm, I'm always happy to hear the singles that I've never really been invested in them as a full album band. Um, what was your uh, sort of impression listening to this as a as a full collection of songs, uh, Brian? I think for me, I'll say um, good. Uh, but not great. I, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say great. Like, I think, I think the singles are great. I think down Rodeo is great. I think Vietnam is great. Um, but uh, to me as a collection of songs, like I wouldn't describe this as a great album. Um, you know what? I, I will say this. I would give this a higher review now than I would have back then. Uh, me too. I agree. It's weird. It, it does. It, it always felt to me like this was not quite this was I, I always felt like the Battle of Los Angeles was the most distilled and cool version of Rage Against the Machine that like sure. you heard the first album and it always felt like the Battle of Los Angeles was an immediate successor to that first album that Evil Empire was kind of like, hey, eh, you know, we got some we got some really good songs, but it does on this album feel like there are. I, I I said this earlier. I still think there is like like a punk, a weird punk vibe that isn't in the other two albums on this album. And I always point out Revolver as the song that I kind of remember hearing it and be like, nah, this isn't this isn't what I like. But it wasn't supposed to be a new metal album. So, you know, but I remember the first thing i heard about this album was my friend nate who got the album i think we even found it on the ground maybe we found the really? cassette on the ground <laughs> yeah we're out fucking like around. porno in the like porno in the woods but uh yeah. I remember polit something, politics in the street <laughs> i remember it was something like where we found this we got our hands on this album and none of us paid for it and you know he went he would listen to it. And I remember him telling me that Vietnam, he was telling me about Vietnam and how bad it sucks. Cause they keep repeating themselves. <laughs> and like, I remember listening to it the first time and I guess agreeing with him. You know what I mean? Cause it's like, Oh, they keep, they keep saying, turn on a radio. Nah, fuck it. Turn it off. Yeah. When I, I love when, that part. <laughs> I do too. I hated it though. As a teen, and now when I listen to it, I, I, the, the fucking guitars in songs like Vietnam and People of the Sun and Bulls on Parade are just so special. Like, it's just so good. It's, you, it's a band that fucking actually figured out a sound that nobody can do or nobody has done still. And I'm no. not talking about the scratching stuff i'm talking about the riffs like they seem like pretty easy riffs to make but like nobody has been able to replicate the riffs of of rage against the machine the the kind of very sharp 
the the very sharp like sounds like and you know i've tried to describe this a million times as uh on this show and i remember when we interviewed when we reviewed the first corn album i talked about how like the the way that it was recorded sanded the edges off of a lot of the riffs and it feels like with rage against the machine they make sure not to do that like this, this album is well recorded this album sounds crazy. I mean, I love it. They talk about it in one of the uh, in one of the interviews as well, where they said uh, this is from MTV, uh, May 3rd, 1996. The uh, article is titled Rage Builds Evil Empire. And uh, <clears throat> MTV says luck and chemistry may have something to do with rage crashing the top of the charts with its new album. But the chemistry at least was enhanced when the band decided to record Evil Empire in its own rehearsal space. Tom Morello says, why spend $2,000 a day in some fancy recording studio trying to recreate the great vibe that we have right here? And so we literally knocked a hole in the wall, rented the room across the hall and ran the wires over the hallway. Zach says, we weren't going to go in and play in a studio that just had no environment whatsoever. You get in some of those places and it's like you're walking into a dentist's office. I've had my teeth cleaned. Thanks a lot. I don't want to do that. And um, normally I, I have been critical in the past of albums that are recorded poorly. Um, I mean, this one, Brendan O'Brien killed it for them recording in a recording space. Like when I first, the first band I ever played in was in high school. Well, I shouldn't say that I played, I technically played in a band in elementary school, but the first band I played in, in high school, I had moved to BC and it was some new friends. And the guy uh, had built a shed in his backyard and we used to jam in his shed and it was just built out of wood. He just built it himself. And it was this flimsy like shed. And this to me sounds like it was recorded in that shed. Like it just, it fucking hits hard. It sounds intimate. It sounds like it was all recorded live off the floor, but not in a bad way, like in the best way possible. Like it just, it sounds immediate and frantic and like, yeah, for a band like this to be recorded that way, I think is is super effective and it makes the songs hit really, really hard. I think it sounds incredible. Well, since you just brought up the MTV article, I want to throw this sure. in here. Sure. Uh, at the end of that article, it says, <laughs> I, I got to read it. The last paragraph of this article says, Rage is currently fin finishing up a European tour, but they'll be back in our evil U.S. soil for a tour in late <laughs> July. Our That's evil, what I mean. It was so evil U.S. soil. Yeah, it was so on. They were so fucking unfair to them. There's even an article you sent me with with Riza where I felt like it was so fucking unfair the way like they were they were like, what does yeah. this lyric mean? And read like a, a verse where I don't know something could be perceived as misogynist, and then being like, isn't it interesting that you're touring with Rage Against the Machine, but you made this song <laughs> and it's like holy fuck man well they ask down. rage about it too right they're yeah. like oh it must be hard for you to be touring with wu-tang because they have songs where they talk about fucking bitches or whatever you yeah. know like it's yeah it's very odd like and i think that's the thing too like it had to be had to be tiring to be in rage and i'm sure maybe too you with street fight as well like I'm sure you just got challenged all the time. And that just sounds exhausting. It's like you, you, you try to put yourself out there of like, this is what I believe in. I'm trying to spread this message. I believe in blah, blah, blah. But then everybody's constantly challenging you on your messaging and what you're doing. And like, that would just, that would drive me bananas. And I, I think I've brought, brought this up that like when, when street fight ended, 
somebody sent me a screenshot from the uh, Discord where a guy was just furious because of my, me doing Legos because they're expensive and I'm not doing anything creative. And it's like, motherfucker, I, I work my ass off. <laughs> okay. And like, I make the thing that you supposedly like, I'm allowed to like have a hobby. I don't care how stupid it is. Totally. You know what I mean? And it was totally. stuff like that that used to, it used to really frustrate me. And I'll say something else being somebody who's operated in those circles. And again, I still believe everything that I believed when I was doing street fight. I just went through a tough, I went through a tough mental phase with it where it was just like, man. But one of the things that always struck me was like, I could say something and somebody could immediately, I'll bring this up very early on. uh, There was this guy that listened. He was really, he seemed really fucking nice. And, uh, you know, he was, he wanted to mail me a vaporizer when those things were like 300 fucking dollars. And like, he seemed like a really nice guy. And we did an episode right after it that we had just got into wrestling uh, and was just like, Iron, you know, let's talk about wrestling. Let's do a show where we talk about wrestling. The guy fucking canceled his Patreon and went on tirades because he said the people that liked wrestling when he was growing up would would beat him up. And he hated us from then on. And every once in a while, somebody would send me screenshots of him, which I don't ever do that, by the way. When we're not looking for that. Yeah, um, just, I'm I'm purposely not in 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 a, like a Discord. Like I'm not in there because I don't want to see that. Don't send it to me. Yeah. So it just to me like that that kind of stuff frustrated me because like it felt like everything could be washed away for me just kind of saying something that somebody disagrees with. We're like, well, I said all the right stuff for fucking 12 years and you're reading this in the most bad faith way possible so that you can get, then you end up mad at me and then I become something. I've seen it happen all the time on a line and it's really difficult thing. And I think, you know, rage against the machine. We're operating in that hypercritical world. They were doing shows for nonprofits and stuff like that. And I, I can guarantee that there were a lot of people at those shows that were just there for the cause and, and thought rage against the machine was a bad choice because they're on a major label and stuff like that. And they should have picked a different band and shit like that. So I totally get it. You know, who else had the same thing? Laura Jane grace was like, I want to do this. They, uh, uh, against me did that album reinventing Axl Rose, which honestly better political album than any other rage stuff like that stuff. That album really brought me to, where I got, you know what I mean? Cause it's just, it's saying a lot of things. But anyway, I, I remember she at some point made a song that was like, uh, I was a teenage anarchist to talk about like, Hey, when I was younger, I had all these, I had all this stuff. Sometimes people feel disillusioned and, and shit like that. And people were furious at her for, for being disillusioned. And it's just like, you can't fucking tell me how I'm supposed to feel like, I feel this way. And that's part, I think that's part of movements period. You know what? Like any movements is that sometimes you're going to ebb and flow and maybe they'll make you feel real bad. And like, that's how I always felt with street fight was that I felt like a failure. Like we didn't win anything the whole time. We just spent 12 years losing. <laughs> so It was just kind of <laughs> like, uh, it's hard to reconcile that with like going on the air and having to say like, Hey, 
you know, I think we can win and shit like that. Like, I didn't want to be a guy that started doing a podcast saying what we can't win. And I think like that was, that's the same thing that had that, you know, uh, rage probably wrestled with quite a bit. I do want to say, what is the fucking song? I got to find the song that I loved that I don't think I've listened to in fucking 10 years. Uh, roll right. Yeah. Roll right. was probably my favorite of the non sort of, single songs yeah well, really good i mean vietnam is really good Snake it's a single is really good technically. is it really yeah vietnam is a single yeah it was i the never liked single. eyes without a face or without a face not eyes without a face i never yeah. liked that one but uh i just feel like this this of all the rage against the machine albums which is only three or four right yeah four <laughs> this one is if the you count most... if you count renegades yeah yeah this one well yeah i don't know renegades is good like I like Renegades. This one oh, yeah, might be too. this one might be the roughest one. And when you read the articles, it seems like they were having a lot of uh, issues, not like corn issues, because those yeah. are different issues. But oh, they, they were, were having definitely having of, they were definitely having issues. Yeah, I mean, it, felt it definitely like seems like a pretty wanna, volatile situation. Yeah, yeah, it seemed like guys that didn't want to be in the room together, but had to make something. You know what yeah. I mean? That's the vibe I got reading the articles for Evil Empire. Was it was a lot of guys that didn't want to be in a room together because they talked about going to Atlanta and they said, we'll just all live in the same house <laughs> and uh, that did not work for them. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely seems like there was some conflict. I wonder how much of it was to do with politics and, you know, maybe Tim and Brad didn't care as much and just wanted to be making rock music. I don't know. Yeah. But yeah, I, I found the one thing I found listening to this album is that while I do like rage uh, and I like their aesthetic and, and the the music they make, like you said, I do think it's one of one. It's, it's a singular sound. I don't think there's really, they're kind of like system of a down in that way. I mean, we've encountered a few bands uh, over the lifespan of, of the POD cast that kind of want to be like system of a down. I think the biggest one was the apex theory. Uh, but I mean, the guy used to be in system of a down, but, um, but yeah, there are definitely bands that have a little bit of system of a down rage, just couldn't be copied. I think in a lot of ways no. the, the you know, they were, they were sort of a one of one, which I think is really interesting. But I also think that that also makes a full album a little bit. It's a little samey for me. Like I, I, I find the songs are a little bit, by the time I got to the end of the record, I was just like, okay, I get it. I, like I didn't together. need, yeah, they all mash. And, and I think part of it is, is the rhythm section and I get it. it they're a They're ostensibly a, a rap group right like i mean you know brad wilk is playing i'm sure he's a good drummer you don't really know that in rage because it's mostly just the same kind of four on the floor like almost every verse has a very similar kind of just basic beat and i get it because again it's essentially rap like he needs to make a beat that zach can rap to but I think with the with the drums and bass so often sounding similar, um, listening to an entire record, you you and it's not that it's even bad. It's never and at no point was I like, OK, this is bad and I'm tired of it. There wasn't like a song that stuck out as, oh, this is bad. It was just like, like I said, by the end, I was like, yeah, OK, I, I get it. You, you're good at this. It sounds good, but I get it. And then especially with this one, I think. 
fair to say the three best songs in the album are the first three songs, People of the Sun, Bulls on Parade, Vietnam. They're all stacked at the beginning. So you're also like, by the time you get to, and don't, don't get me wrong, like Down Rodeo is awesome. I did think Roll Right was really good too. But it's still like by the time you get to the end of the album, you're like, I just kind of want to listen to Bulls on Parade again. Like that. I liked when you did. I liked when you did that. That was a good that was a good one. Like all of these feel like lesser versions of that song. God, I guess like for me, like Vietnam is maybe a perfect song on this album that to give me what I like, because I really like like songs. First of all, I am a sucker for uh, a one second like. And then, boom, we're back into the song, like the heaviest part of the song. Like, I'm a sucker for that. I like how they make music that uh, almost controls the uh, mosh pit in a way. Like, that you, it, it becomes like an organism that knows exactly when to stop, when to yell, and stuff like that. I really like that. There's just a, there truly is just a couple of things that, uh, there truly is just a couple of things that, um, uh, I got sick of and, and was also kind of bummed out a little bit about like, it was kind of bummed out a little bit about like uh, um, the, the idea that I didn't like the album. And again, there's a few songs, there's a few songs on this that I don't like, but I think all together, like as a, a, a piece, I think it's great. And I, I, I'll never, I will never like shit on an album that, I like to mosh too. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. that's always like I I don't know why it was something very important to me when I was growing up. Like I, when I was reviewing an album, it would be like, "What would the pit be like?" I don't know why. <laughs> and it, like, isn't an important thing, but it's important. It's to important. Seventeen-year-old Brian. Yeah, so it's yeah. still important to me. You know? <laughs> no, I get it. Um, okay, just this is an we... album for moshing for sure. Oh, no question. I I mean, I think that's part of why so many people were so excited to go to those rage shows. It was like, I've been thinking since I was 12 years old that I'd like to mosh to Bulls on Parade. And <laughs> uh, can I? Yeah, can I? I'll pay, Sure, I'll pay $250 to do that. I don't give a fuck. Um, before we get to the articles, Brian, I do think in fairness to uh, to everybody who listens to the show and, and to one of the classic debates of our genre, I picked when I put Evil Empire in the poll, I picked it because it does feel like the album that is of the Rage albums, maybe the most in the middle of this discourse. But answer the question, is Rage Against the Machine new metal? Uh, you know, my my belief is that uh, everything is new metal. Um, <laughs> Don't cop out on this, Brian. No, my belief here is that like, yeah, because they invented something. It's kind of the way we talked about Faith No More. Like just being the early adopters of this thing and then other people come out, come in and do it differently and far more stupid. I mean really fucking like when you think of the other bands that came after rage that was like yeah they're my and like all of them are dumb guys and i listen that's another reason rage probably didn't make any more albums they felt like they ushered in the worst shit in the world <laughs> you know what I mean? like imagine there's definitely tom a little Mor- feeling of responsibility for limp biscuit yeah. uh you know imagine yeah. your tom morello sitting there and limp biscuit is like out there and they're like yeah, we, you know, it's kind of like Rage Against the Machine, 
birthed a lot of this mix between metal and hip hop that is now being like you would hear that all the fucking time. Oh sure, yeah. And God, if I'm him, and listen, I like all these bands, right? Of course, but that's why we have I this would podcast. Say, <laughs> if I was him, I'd be so embarrassed. <laughs> well, I think especially like there's got to be a part of you where you go. Evil Empire sold 3 million copies. Significant Other sold like 11 million. Like that's got to be that's got to be a yeah. real kick in the dick. Uh, you know, when Nookie is uh blowing up, but your serious political song um about the uh, you know, about freeing Tibet uh did did badly. Um, you know, or not I shouldn't say badly, but not as well. Uh, that's definitely a tough, probably a tough pill to swallow. You're right. I hadn't really thought of it from that angle. I mean, I think it's, it's hard because I don't think faith no more is new metal, but a lot of people would cite faith no more as an influence for new metal. But I just think the way this is recorded, the way that it sounds if you're one of those people who's like, fuck you, don't say rage is new metal, then fine. It's proto new metal, if that makes you feel better to say. But for me, I do think rage is new metal. But I think like in the sense that they had a hand in inventing it, I, they were not copy. Obviously, they were not copying anybody. It wasn't like, oh, this is what's hot now. Like rage was making the music they wanted to make. I mean, the self-titled comes out in 1992. And it sounds similar to this album, you know, in, in terms of what they were going for. So <clears throat> I think it's okay to say in some ways they invented new metal, but I don't know how you could hear this album and not think like that it fits in with the rest of new metal, even if it is much more smarter uh, and more competent than uh, some of the other <laughs> stuff that came out of the genre. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, again, I think it's like, I think if I was to say, is this new metal? I, I think that the reason they came first and mostly the reason that people want it to be not new metal is the same reason people want other stuff like Deftones. Deftones is a big one. It yeah. Is, yeah. It's one of those things where like, I don't want to admit that I liked any of it. And again, I don't know if this is a new metal band, but I know that it has exactly the same vibes. Yeah, no, totally. I completely agree. And and you just have to think of it even from a concert perspective. Like, yeah, Rage was pretty adamant about touring with rap groups. You know, we're going to talk in the articles about how they toured with Wu-Tang. Obviously, these new tours, they're touring with Run the Jewels. I know one of the big tours back in the day, Rage toured with At the Drive-In. Um, that was a big uh, sort of... I would of, love that. Oh, me too. Oh my God, me too. Um, but yeah, so, you know, I know that they didn't, they didn't necessarily seek that out, but it's like if you saw a concert and it was Rage and Corn and someone like it, Rage would not seem we it wouldn't seem weird. Like Rage could be on Sick New World. Like no one yeah. would be like, oh, why is Rage there? That doesn't make any sense. Like they they fit in better there than they do in most other festivals. So yeah, I think that's a good way of looking at it as well. Okay, let's get to the articles, Brian. I know you had quite a bit to say. I've got. There's a couple from uh, Rolling Stone. There's one from the Alternative Press and a couple from the Los Angeles Times. Uh, we already talked about the MTV one. I'm assuming you don't have anything else from that one. No. It was pretty short. But okay. So uh, yeah, go, go ahead. The first thing I had was like really, really, I felt it like quite a bit. Um, and it reminded me of myself in 2011 or 12. You know sure. what I mean? 
Delaroca says the tour aims to take its inherently political message straight to the nation's conservative heartland. We're not going to play to the mainstream. We're going to hijack it, says Delaroca, parking his Explorer on a hill leading up to Griffith Park Observatory. Which, by the way, Griffith Park, I was actually there a couple weeks ago. West Coast Brian went up to the Griffith Park <laughs> Observatory. So I can actually picture exactly what exactly where he's at. Going. Yep. On and, yeah, yeah. The tour is going to incorporate everything which the rich, wealthy classes in America fear and despise. Each of the 20,000 people in the audience will be reminded of their independent political power. And like um, that, that little piece right there, I could have said that. Like that is <laughs> definitely I could have said that in 2011. You could just change that to Brian Quinby, and I'll bet you I said it. You might even be able to find articles in Jacobin where I said something like that. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I think you're exactly. I had also highlighted that that spot. This is, by the way, from an article that came out September fourth, nineteen ninety seven, by Matt Hendrickson. Wait. The title is "Rage Against the Machines: Revolution Rock." It also felt like there was. I mean, I don't know at all, but there there was not much of a mainstream leftist movement at that time. You know, we all. I always go back to uh, the war in Iraq. Where, like, there were record amounts of people protesting against this, but the news didn't touch it. This was just like, there was a protest today, now on to uh, the next news. <laughs> and, like, uh, I, I, I understand, like, this idea, like, because it is, like, the leftist dream to get in front of a bunch of people and have them say, you know what? You're right about that. We got to remember that we have individual political power so that we can overthrow the government. Like, that's what you're hoping happens when you're very young. So I'm not making fun of them. It, it, the article stuff that I read is very much like just seeing myself right. in a lot of uh, the stuff. But uh, yeah, reading the these articles is hard because on some level, there are things they say that make you let that are like ostensibly kind of funny, but they're also about, but they're also about politics that I agree with. So it's a hard, like it's a hard line, you know, like we've said a lot in the past, people always give us a hard time for doing like the worst faith readings of some of these yeah. quotes. But like in this case, it's even harder to do these worst faith readings because you you're just like, oh yeah, but they're saying stuff about politics. But this one was so funny to me. Like this is from the Los Angeles times one, which is kind of a good example of it. This is from September 16th, 1997 by John Roos. And the, the headline is leftist rockers are all the rage. And it's just a very funny, like, quote from uh, from Tom Morello, where he still has to, like, take a shot at another band. We always see this in articles, and I fucking love that there just is, like, always in, the, in this time, this was all the rage, no pun intended, of, you know, get, getting a dig in at another band. And this is Tom Morello answering the question, does performing in a, uh, in a county famous per its Famous for its political conservatism pose any special challenges for rage against the machine. Tom says, I don't know. I constantly feel like we're playing behind enemy lines. 
I really, which is very funny. I really don't think there's a homogenous whole of an audience out there, whether we're performing in Brooklyn or Irvine. Rage Against the Machine tends to bring disenfranchised folks out of the woodwork, people you might not find at a No Doubt concert. And it's like, buddy, I got some news for you. I bet there were a lot of people that both saw Rage Against the Machine and No Doubt in 1997. (laughs) I also like Brooklyn or Irvine. (laughs) Yes. Well, I think it's because they're from Irvine, right? Like Zach is originally from Irvine, I think, is the comparison. But yeah, that Brooklyn (laughs) is like this leftist hub and Irvine is this like right wing insane place. But just the other place. Okay, there's California and New York. And those are the two places. So um, I like this one piece. Uh, He, Zach, doesn't support some of the woos misogynist lyrics particularly on tracks like the projects from the group's new wu-tang forever but delaroca hopes that the tour will provide a chance for his band to start a dialogue with the members of wu-tang about songs he feels are degrading to women straight up there's got to be a more creative way to express the tension that sometimes arises between men and women than to dehumanize a woman by calling her a bitch i totally fucking agree with that but the the reason i read that is because i picture Zach going into Wu-Tang's dressing room <laughs> and being like, hey, guys, um, look, I just want to say, <laughs> yeah, there, <laughs> there's just simply think- no chance that that conversation happened. Like, yeah. I agree with you, too, Brian. Like, I, I 100%, I think there's no doubt. I agree with Zach. Anybody does. Anybody with a brain agree. Like, of course. But it's just like, yeah. Some of the well, pictures that they that they like to paint as well, even just all of the like, we're going to war. We're behind enemy lines. Yeah. It's like a lot of people are. Unfortunately, a lot of people are just coming to your show to mosh and rock out. I yes. don't think all 20,000 people are going to be at the concert thinking like, God, I have the power to change the world. They're just yeah. going like, fuck, rock, rock, good. Me like rock music. (laughs) Like it's not a, it's not a political statement being at a rage show necessarily. I think when I talk about the, when we talk about the bad faith ways, we read a lot of these articles. I think one of the things that I would say is that, uh, I do not think there is, I thought I agreed with pretty much everything rage against the machine said in any of these articles. Sure. I think the thing that, really fucked with me was the interviewers saying like some of the question like here by signing with a major label however rage left itself open to barbs from cynics who ask why the group would align itself with an international conglomerate why not release its albums independently you fucking know why you don't <laughs> like you yes. know what i mean the, the guy doing this interview you fucking know why they didn't do an independent album. You can't get in a fucking record store. You can't play in any venues without dealing with these companies. There's nothing you can find. There's nothing that any Pearl Jam tried. Pearl Jam tried to like kill Ticketmaster. Pearl Jam, Smashing Pumpkins. I think even Rage had a little part. Didn't happen. Yeah. Didn't work. It's just like I used to say about, yeah, I'm boycotting Walmart. I don't fucking go to Walmart. But Walmart isn't going anywhere because yeah. just... You know, uh, and it's just there's nothing you can do about it. But in every article, that is a question that they have to answer as though they haven't read any other articles about Rage Against. Like, it's in every piece. 
Just go yeah. back and read an article before and you'll get their answer about this major label thing. And it's just so crazy when you say, like, I want to get in front of as many people as possible. And then the person that's interviewing was like, but me thinks uh, you are making money. So that <laughs> is an interesting uh, dichotomy here. You know, the stuff I need, to, the stuff you need to live. You got to make that. But, you know, I don't see how it, it helps you with your capitalist with your anti-capitalist stuff. And it was truly shocking to me because I don't think this would happen in 2023, really. How no, no, every single person is like, oh, I guess you're a socialist, but you have capitalistic tendency. Like, yeah. fuck you, man. Like, it's the it's perfect version. And it's like, when you think about journalists being looked at as like intellectuals and stuff like that, it really all that is is like i see you post about socialism on an iphone interesting yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly it's like well i have to function in society i need i need to have a phone <laughs> like you know and even zach kind of he sort of tries to rail against that a little bit where he says uh one of capitalism's secret weapons is to equate freedom with the buying of products, he says. In hip-hop, people go out and buy their champagne in their mansions, and when you reinforce that principle where people are free because they can buy products, I say, fuck that, you can keep it. I want my freedom. Those are the values that rappers Chuck D, KRS-One, and Wu-Tang hold true. However... In the same article, Zach talks about how he moved out of Irvine and into Los Feliz because he didn't. People were stealing his stuff in yeah. in uh, in Irvine and all that. Like it just at some point you have there. Unfortunately, in our society as a whole, even if you're anti-capitalist, you have to engage with capitalism on some level. There is just no way of not unless you want to like take the millions of dollars you made off of your rock band and try to live in the woods by yourself. Uh, for the rest of yeah. your life, you know, that at some point you have to engage with capitalism, like, and you're right, like the, the interviewers really seem to want to try to catch them in some sort of trap. And it's like, well, there, I have to live, I have to be alive, you know? Um, and then in the same, this is also from the Rolling Stone article. This is where one of the ones where they talk about how they hate each other. And I thought this was very funny. Morello claims that relations among the members of rage are as good as they've been in four years. De La Roca says the relationships are often still rocky. <laughs> like, I like the idea of the interviewer be sitting down with Zach. Hey, Tom says things are in the band are going pretty good relationship wise. And Zach's like, no, <laughs> uh, the quote is it's a tense little family and we internalize a lot. He says, we all have different thresholds for what we can deal with, what Tom may be experiencing or his perception of what's going on. A lot of the times is different than mine, but it isn't something that stops us from doing the work we do rage. Don't spend much time together when they're off the road. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. But I, yeah, I get it. They, they're not that it's, it's, you can do stuff with people you don't a hundred percent agree with and, uh, have it work out. But these guys were actually, I, I, I so unfairly, unfairly, uh, put out there by the press in sort of like, even the press was trying to question whether they really believe the leftist stuff or it was a gimmick. And that, that to me is fucked up, man. <laughs> Totally. No, I completely agree. Um, then there's the great quote. This is just, I pulled it from another Rolling Stone article. Wu-Tang Clan's RZA moves on to bigger things. This is from September 4th, 1997 by Neil Strauss. And he 
immediately opens the interview by uh, asking about Rage's politics, which is very funny to me. Whose idea was it to tour with Rage Against the Machine? Riza, I remember talking about it last year among those who talk, but I can't remember how it got started. They came to us and asked, and we agreed. They got talent right there. I know how they affect people, and they got hip-hop influences. Basically, Zach De La Roca raps. Are you into all of the political stuff they're into? That's why my vote was to do the concert, because of what they talk about. They talk about a lot of what we talk about. It's like De La Roca thinks Revelation or some shit is coming. See, I had read their lyrics before I listened to the album. Once I saw the lyrics, it was like, damn, we're going in the same direction. So you're into stuff like the Zapatistas cause? Say that again? They're the rebel <laughs> farmers in southern Mexico that the band sings about. Okay, right. I've never heard of that. Maybe it's unfair to ask you about Rage's lyrics. I'm sure they wouldn't understand a lot of yours. Yeah. <laughs> like this is like you're just trying to gotcha Riza for not caring or knowing about the Zapatistas was yeah. insanely funny. And it was it really was. It, it, it reading these articles, I you post the articles, don't you? I do. Yeah. Yeah. People well, can go through read and these read articles and see I mean like they were just like the whole time, like these guys are fake leftists, which usually comes from other leftists. <laughs> yes. Not the uh, press. Yeah. Well, it's 1997. It's a different time. You know, they had to, they had to cut them down. So, yeah. Um, but yeah. And then this was the last one I had. This is from the Los Angeles times. The article is called up against the wall. Uh, this is the longest headline we've ever done on the show, by the way. The headline is up against the wall. You want raw, unfiltered extremism? You got it. Rage Against the Machine is back with all pistons firing. The band members once thought they'd be too political for anyone to care. They were wrong. That's the headline. Uh, it's by Robert Hilburn, April 14th, 1996. And Tom has sort of a good quote with what we were talking about. You had brought it up earlier about them being a gimmick. Uh, a lot of labels contacted us and lots of them just didn't seem to understand what we wanted to do. Morello says during the interview at Epic Records, they kept talking about the message of the music as a gimmick. They were interested in us just because there was buzz. They saw us as the latest local rock band to be hype, but Epic agreed to everything we asked and they followed through. By signing with a label, however, uh, Rage left itself open to barbs from cynics who ask why the group would align itself with an international conglomerate. Why not release its albums independently? Morello nods at the question. Uh, we get asked about that all the time, but we never saw a conflict as long as we maintained creative control. When you live in a capitalist society, the currency of the dissemination of information goes through capitalistic channels. And then that's where he did the quote about Chomsky being sold at Barnes and Noble. Um, yeah. Wild yeah. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, it, the thing that made me sad, and he probably did say it, was that he didn't do the Marx quote about the capitalists will sell you the whatever tools you to overthrow. Yes. Them. I don't remember what it is, but I thought I always love that saying. And it's like, Tom, you went to fucking Harvard and hung out with Marxists. Like that's that's one of the more famous Marx yeah, things. You just dropped it. Just drop it in, man. Um, okay, let's get to the uh, the tweet defense. This is where uh, this is our review system. If you've never listened to the show before, uh, this is where uh, we we rate the album based on if someone were to tweet at us and say that this album sucked, how many tweets we would do back uh, in defense of it. Uh, Brian, where are you? Uh, where's your score at here? I would give this one. Oh, it's so hard to score things anymore. Uh, you know what? I'll say. <laughs> I'll say a 7,000 is what I'm going <laughs> to give this album, which is a good review. I know it's that not is a good review. Yeah. 
but there are just some things that I, I, there are just songs that are kind of sticking points with me that I don't think are super good. But yeah. uh, the songs that are good, it has such high highs. I mean, the the, totally. the songs like Vietnam, People of the Sun, Bulls on Parade, Down Rodeo, um, and oh, fuck, what's the other one that I said I really like? Snake Charmer, Roll, Wind Roll Below, right. Roll Right. Like those songs were all so good that it lifts an album that has some stinkers on it up quite a bit. So that's that's seven thousand. Love it. Um, I'm going to go five, I think, is probably about where I'm at. Uh, sort of one for each of the songs that I really like on the record. I also think, of course, you can always have a tweet in there for how the politics are good, uh, how heavy they are, all of those uh, kinds of things. So, yeah, it's a, it's a five for me. Solid album, but like I said, maybe a little bit too samey sounding and uh, not, uh, you know, maybe not sustainable as a, as a sound over the course of 50 minutes, but still like you said, the highs are, are so high. Some of the best songs, some of the best rock songs uh, ever written on this album. So uh, there you have it. Okay. Uh, before we get to the end of the show, uh, if you want to support the show, you can do so at, at uh, patreon.com slash the POD cast. Brian was talking earlier about posting the articles. All of the articles we talk about on this show uh, will be posted up on the Patreon. If you want to click through and read uh, what Rage had to say in 1996 and 97, uh, we also do three bonus episodes every single month. We do a full length bonus episode where we talk about a full album and then we do two singles episodes where we talk about a new metal song. Last month, my wife, Becca, uh, made her first appearance on the show. We talked about the Linkin Park and Jay-Z mashup album collision course so that's on the patreon right now we also have merch discounts and a little wink wink right here we have some new merch coming uh we did a a collab with uh, an awesome designer uh you guys are gonna see that very soon it's uh it's really it's really sick i'm gonna it's killing me not being able to post it yeah (laughs) every time i see it i'm like it's so good that we, we got a new version, too, with some colors, and it looks amazing. So anyway, that's going to be going up. When this episode comes out, it might be up already, but if it's not, it's coming very soon. So merch.blockparty.com, and if you donate to Patreon, you get discounts on the merch. It's basically like you'd get your first month or so of the Patreon for free. So yeah, head on over there, support the show, patreon.com slash the POD cast. It's cast with a K, like the band Corn. Okay, let's get to the challenge, Brian. This is... Uh, Every month we give ourselves a challenge based on the record. Last month we covered Disturbed's Believe and we found out that David Draymond had, uh, well, he directed a video for one of the songs on that record that was rejected by MTV. So we wrote our own uh, rejection uh, or or like video that we thought would be rejected. Uh, Brian, you uh, soundly defeated me in that uh, in that challenge, 70% to 30%. So uh, we are now tied up once again. You have 21 wins. I have 21 wins and we have two ties. Uh, so for this one, uh, we kind of thought that we would uh, have a little fun with Rage being a, a political band and uh, write a song or come up with an idea if we were to write a song with a political cause, but maybe one that's not... Uh, you know, not so <laughs> leftist or obviously political. Um, so, Brian, what uh, what cause are you are you writing a song for? So, yeah, I came up with this idea for a challenge, and I'm just going to say this. And I know, you know, I, I personally would end mass incarceration. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought it would be such a dick thing to do to be like, not something political, not something super political. <laughs> yeah, just uh, the mass incarceration in the U.S. Uh, in the U.S. in the the prison system, the prison system of the United States. They're trying to build a prison. 
Uh, yeah, I go would ahead. make this is the cause that I always feel I need to do. If if a TV show comes out and uh, they haven't finished telling the story, it is illegal for them to be canceled. You have to finish telling the story. I like if it. it has a certain amount of you know what I mean. Like totally. there's there's been shows that you watch just and end on a the, cliffhanger. Yeah, and it's like gone forever, and it sucks. Yeah, and also. Uh, as a part of an a, a amendment to this bill, I would also say uh, seven more seasons of The Shield. So that is oh, All right. Deal. You got it. Mine is going to be uh, my political cause. And I've joked before about how I will make an entire political party based on this. Uh, it's And this is maybe more of a Pacific Northwest thing. Living in Vancouver rains here a lot. Uh, people who use umbrellas underneath awnings. Um you're gone. I'm, I'm done. Like that's, if I was like a dictator, they're, they're gone. I, I wouldn't be able to handle it. Like I just, it's like you're the, the awnings are for people without umbrellas. Umbrellas mm-hmm. are for the sidewalk. Get the fuck out of my way. Especially when you, the worst part is not only that you're double protecting yourself, but umbrellas are big and awnings are not that big. And people who have an umbrella who won't move out of the way, you're like trying to walk under an awning and they won't move out of the way get lost. And so I actually came up with a rage style song. The title would be, cause I, I think rage, you know, they're, they're intelligent guys. They wouldn't use the word umbrella. So the song I would write about it would be called bumber shoot you in the head. Okay. So, well, yeah, they, I mean, they love songs about shooting and shooting in so. the head. That's like a big thing. And then bumber shoot is a funny name for umbrella. I think it's perfect. So there you have it. That's the challenge. You can vote on Twitter. Uh, who won the challenge? We usually post it about a month from now, right before we do the next episode. You can head on over to twitter.com slash the POD underscore cast. Again, cast with a K. Also on our Twitter, you can vote in the poll. This is uh, every month. Brian and I put up two albums that you can, and then you vote on of those four, which one you want us to cover next month. But if you're a donor to the show, you will know we're doing a very special poll this month because we feel like we've gotten to a saturation point where there's a few singles we've really liked where we haven't really heard the whole album from the band or at least not in a long time. So we decided on that bonus episode that we were going to put up four albums in this poll that are all sort of like lower level new metal albums that we would love to cover on the show that we think deserve a little more shine. So those four albums are Trust Company, The Lonely Position of Neutral, 40 Below Summer, Invitation to the Dance, Adema's self-titled album, Adema, and Nonpoint's debut album, Statement. Uh, so those are the four that are going up. Trust Co., 40 Below Summer, Adema, Nonpoint. You'll have the chance to vote on one of those uh, on our Twitter. Usually goes up around the 20th or so of the month, so make sure you're following us so you can vote. That's the only place it's, it's up. Twitter.com slash the POD underscore cast. Check it out. Thank you for listening to the show. You guys are the best. Uh, We love you and we appreciate you for it. And we'll see you back here next month. Goodbye.